everyone and a very warm welcome to worship at Hillhead wherever we are this morning. Our service will be led by Katrina but we'll also hear the voices of Talash, Leo and Paul F. Our musician this morning is Paul and in a moment or two Esther and David and their family will be lighting our candle. Then tonight at 7pm, our Zoom evening service will be led by the Reverend Roger Sturrock. I'm giving notice of a church meeting next Saturday, the 23rd of October at 10am. At this meeting, we will make a significant decision about our church building. But although it's an important meeting, we don't anticipate that it will be a long one. It should last no more than an hour to an hour and a half. So we should be finished by 11.30 a.m. at the latest. Everyone is very welcome to attend this meeting, but of course only covenanted members can vote. But please do try and be present, if at all possible, to help us discern the way forward as a church family. Look out for your Zoom invitation for this meeting later in the week with further details about it. That's next Saturday at 10 a.m our church meeting on Zoom. And then finally, thank you to everyone who has already donated to our Harvest Appeal for Operation Agri Work in Uganda. If you're still to make your donation, you'll find the link uh, to our Just Giving page in the October key. But if you're stuck and can't find it, uh, just drop me an email. This page will be active until the 31st of October, so we've still got two weeks to make our donations. Now it's time for Esther and David to light our candle. Thank you, Father, for the worship. Let us join together to become the body of Christ. Christ is the light that lights our way. May we glimpse Christ's light this day.
And now let us come to God in prayer. Let's pray together. Thank you, God, for the gift of this new day and for all the potential it holds. Thank you for the technology that allows us to gather from so many different places so that we can join together in praise and worship. Listen for your voice as we read scripture. Reflect on words prepared for this service and bring to you our prayers for others and for ourselves. Thank you, God, that however this past week has been, you have been with us. Whether we have struggled or whether we have soared. If our days have been full of laughter and love, overwhelmed by sorrow or regret, or just the same old, same old. Help us in these moments to pause and to allow ourselves to be more aware of your presence around us and within us. Thank you, God, that you forgive us all our sins, shortcomings and regrets. That you restore and refresh us for the days ahead. And that you promise to be with us always to the very end of time. Amen. The Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, the glory, forever and ever. Amen.
The first reading is from Ecclesiasticus. Let us now sing the praises of famous men, our ancestors and their generations. The Lord apportioned to them great glory, his majesty from the beginning. There were those who ruled in their kingdoms and made a name for themselves by their valor, those who gave counsel because they were intelligent, those who spoke in prophetic oracles, those who led the people by their counsels and by their knowledge of the people's lore. They were wise in their words of instruction, those who composed musical tunes or put verses in writing, rich men endowed with resources, living peacefully in their homes. All these were honoured in their generations and were the pride of their times. Some of them have left behind a name so that others declare the praise. But of others, there is no memory. They have perished as though they have never existed. They have become as though they had never been born, they and their children after them. But these were also godly men, whose righteous deeds have not been forgotten. Their wealth will remain with their descendants, and their inheritance with their children's children. Their descendants stand by their covenants, their children also for their sake. Their offspring will continue forever, and their glory will never be blotted out. Their bodies are buried in peace, but their names live on generation after generation. The assembly declares their wisdom, and the congregation proclaim their praise.
On the 13th of January, 1883, a letter was sent to Reverend Frederick Robarts, Minister of Richmond Baptist Church in Liverpool, in which he was invited by nine co-signatories to throw in your lot with us in the founding of a new Baptist church in the district of Hillhead. So eager were they to attract him, they offered him a salary of at least £400 per annum, it's around about £50,000 today, and eight weeks holiday in each year. But more importantly, they eagerly shared with him their dream of erecting a hall able to seat 350 to 400 people, which would house a church, quote, whose membership shall be open to all who love our Lord Jesus, but of which the pastor shall be a Baptist in all time coming, and in which baptism of believers by immersion on profession of faith shall be the only baptism practised and maintained. And of course, the rest is history. We know that Frederick Robarts accepted the call and he led the church through its early years, first of all in hired premises, then within a year in the hall, what we have come to know as the Trist, and by the end of 1884 in the completed church in what is now called Cresswell Street. Under his ministry, the church thrived. Numbers grew and visitors flocked to hear him preaching. A little bit of digging suggests that Frederick Robarts lived at 8 Grosvenor Terrace. Now, if you walk along Grosvenor Terrace, number eight just about lines up with the Kibble Suite, which is where prior to the pandemic we were holding our services. It caused me a little bit of a smile to think that actually we might have been in Frederick Robart's front parlour holding our services. There we were, singing our praises to God, welcoming visitors and friends, and continuing the work that he, with others, began all those long years ago. But what else do we know about Frederick Robarts? He was born in London in 1835. He studied and practiced law before he becoming convinced of a call to ordained ministry. He chose to spend a year in Edinburgh studying theology, and it was here that two really significant events occurred. Here, he began to attend Dublin Street Baptist Church and became convinced of believers' baptism and so was baptised there. It was here also that he would meet the woman who was to become his wife. Returning to Liverpool, he was given the charge of a newly formed congregation in Richmond Baptist Church, formally constituted in 1865 when he'd have been just 30 years old, so a very young man. He served Richmond for 18 years, during which time he became very popular, attracting lots of people to hear him preach. And he and his wife, also with members of the church, founded an orphanage in that area and, and spent a lot of time working there. Unfortunately, I couldn't find out any more about the, the orphanage. It appears at some point to have disappeared without trace. So why is Frederick Robart, somebody who inspires me and potentially could inspire us. 
Well, if you know nothing else about me by now, you know that I like spotting connections. And I can find several when I set my story alongside his story. But there are three that I would like to pick up today. Frederick Robarts was 48 years old when he flew in his lot with Hillhead Baptist Church. And it's those words, really, that struck me at the age of 46 when I was praying through a possible call to this church. This idea of being in it together, of embracing uncertainty and trusting that God would be part of the adventure really spoke to me. It's fair to say that my decision to throw in my lot with Hillhead Baptist Church is at least in part inspired by his. He also inspires me because he had a genuine heart for children and young people. He introduced a children's address, as it was called back then, and that, in those late Victorian days, was quite a radical thing to do. And although the way we work nowadays is very different from the way that he worked, I do share his desire that we as a church are a place in which children and young people can grow and flourish, can develop, discover and nurture their faith in Christ. And then, above all, perhaps he was a man of prayer. This week, I got out the two little histories of Hillhead Baptist Church and reread them to find out and remind myself about Frederick Robart. And I was particularly struck of his practice of praying his way through the church role. And he actively encouraged everybody in the church to do the same. And that was one of those hair on the back of the necks moments, really. <laughs> Thank you, Lena and George, showing them to us. Um, it was a real hair on the back of the neck moment because a few years ago, Emma said to us when we were reviewing our prayer cycle, wouldn't it be good if we prayed for everybody on the list of, of, of our church, not just the members, but also the friends. And that was when a few years back, we originally it was two people, two households per week. But more recently, we've went to, a, to one every weekday. So five pairs or five or six households a week that we pray for. So there's a real good connection with Frederick Robarts, I think, there. A man committed to Christ. He was open to challenge and change. He loved and nourished and affirmed young people. He was faithful in prayer. And all of those things I find really inspiring. Now, unfortunately, despite having a shelf full of hymn books, I don't have a copy of the one that would have been used by the church at the time Mr. Robarts arrived. And one of my few retrospective regrets from when we cleared out the church is I could have snaffled a copy of that from the crypt. It would have been a bit damp and smelly, but there were still a few extant copies of that old black hymn book. However, I am pretty sure that he would have sung metrical psalms. And so on that basis, I've chosen for our next hymn, a metrical version of Psalm 121. Oh, my God. 
A reading from Mark chapter 7. Jesus set out and went away to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know he was there, yet he could not escape notice. But a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him, and she came and bowed down at his feet. Now, the woman was a Gentile, of Syrophoenician origin. She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, let the children be fed first. It is not fair to take the children's fruit and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, for saying that, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. So she went home, found the child lying on the bed and the demon gone. In a kind of uh, meanwhile, back at the ranch kind of way, whilst the founders of Hillhead Baptist Church were waiting to hear whether or not Reverend Robarts would accept their invitation. Far away in Oxfordshire, the birth of a baby was eagerly awaited. And in March 1883, Edith Gates was born, a younger sister for Elizabeth Gates. We know very little at all about Edith Gates' life until in 1918, at the age of 35, she was inducted as the minister of Little Chew and Cleveley Baptist Chapels in Oxfordshire. And in 1922, along with another woman called Maria Living Taylor, was entered onto the role of accredited ministers of the Baptist Union of Great Britain the first women to be so included. Now, official Baptist histories tend to focus their attention on another woman called Violet Hedger, who was the first to be trained at a Baptist college, and she went in 1919 to Regent's Park College. But Edith completed her studies by the external Baptist Union exam, something that continued to be available until quite late in the 20th century. Something quite significant about Edith's ministry is that she was financially supported by a grant from what back in the day was called the Sustentation Fund, the uh, equivalent to the Scottish Baptist Fund for us nowadays. And that was really significant because in so doing, the Baptist Union of Great Britain recognised and affirmed women's ministry, albeit at that stage on far less favourable terms than their male counterparts, but it was a different age. As I say, there's very little left 
to tell us about Edith's ministry, which continued until she retired at the age of 67 in 1950 and moved away with her sister, Elizabeth, who had been the church organist all that time, to Western Supermare, where she remained until her death at the start of 1962. Like Frederick Robarts, Ida seems to have been very well loved and her preaching also could attract congregations of between three and 400 worshippers, which for a small village in Oxfordshire is pretty impressive. During her time, land adjacent to the little Tew chapel was acquired and a schoolroom was built suggesting that there was a significant children's work being undertaken there too. So why does Edith inspire me? Well, yes, firstly, because she was the first woman to be accredited as a Baptist minister in these islands. And so she is one of the metaphorical giants on whose shoulders those of us who came later are able to stand. At a time when only educated middle-class women were just being allowed to vote, when there was no such thing as equality legislation, she must have been very powerfully convinced of her call and incredibly, incredibly courageous and determined to follow it. Hardly anything is known of her life, but those few hints we have show a woman who was a respected preacher was able to oversee a significant building project. And like Frederick Robarts up here in Glasgow, someone who was in it for the long haul. Resolute, determined, pioneering, competent, creative. Such qualities inspire me in my 21st century context, where ordained and accredited women ministers continue to face injustice, in inequity and insult and continue to serve local churches with courage, compassion and determination. Some years ago, before I came to Hillhead, if I remember correctly, I came across a hymn from the Iona community that celebrates some of the women whose stories contribute to the Bible record and we're going to sing that now. We have sung it before, but it is a while ago. There is a line of women.
how do we begin to pull that together to make any connections that go beyond just what's personal for me and what might be of interest or relevance to us as a congregation? Well, I am going to stick with my own story for a bit, if I may. It's June 2010, and I am at my first Scottish Baptist Ministers Conference in St Andrews. It's a glorious sunny day and I've driven up from Glasgow and been given the key to my bedroom. I go into the first session and the loud singing and the blokey banter leaves me wondering, have I accidentally strayed into the rugby club gathering by mistake? I queue up for my dinner in the dining hall and holding my tray carefully, I survey a sea of male faces. There are two women attending a conference of roughly 100 delegates. The other is a hospital chaplain. And as I stood there and looked, unbidden, the words came into my mind, Edith Gates, Violet Hedger, Edith Gates, Violet Hedger. And in some very small measure, I realised something of what it had been like for them as pioneering women ministers all those years ago. And now it's 2018 and I'm in Birmingham, also in the summer, at a conference to mark the centenary of accredited ordained Baptist women in the UK. And here we celebrate Edith and Violet. We reflect on what is good and not so good as we enter a second century in which women will be recognised and affirmed within the Baptist unions of these islands. Following that conference, an online network of around 300 women Baptist ministers is formed. A safe space to share ideas and joys and struggles, to encourage each other in the ongoing work of ministry, whether that's in chaplaincy or church or within the structures of the unions. And in this group, the idea is born of publishing a collection of worship resources inspired by the story of that Syro-Phoenician woman recorded in Mark's Gospel. Gathering Up the Crumbs, as it is called, was published by the Baptist Union of Great Britain in spring 2020, when we were in the midst of lockdown, and includes original work by accredited ordained women within the three Baptist unions in these islands. And here are some words from the introduction. This collection is inspired by the story of a Syro-Phoenician woman. Dismissed as a dog, a derogatory remark, she didn't miss a beat in her reply. Even the dogs gather up the crumbs under the table. The Bible is full of stories of equally amazing women, feisty, determined, called of God to serve in diverse ways, times and places. Some were wives, others were widows, divorcees or singletons. Some were mothers or grandmothers, others were childless. Some were Hebrews, many were foreigners. So it is with us.
The people who inspire me are very rarely those in the public eye. They're the people who just get on with doing what they do day by day. Whilst Frederick Robarts and Edith Gates are names that I know, names that matter in the circles in which I move, they're never going to have statues erected for them in public squares or best-selling biographies published. Most people, even in Baptist circles, will never hear about them or the churches that they have served. The passage we heard read by Leo from Ecclesiastes begins with a celebration of great and famous men, those who were successful in business, the writers, the musicians, the orators, the influencers and the celebs of their own time. The ones who, had they lived today, would have had a huge following on social media. Those whose words would have been quoted out of context, whose ideas would have been significant in shaping society. Men who would be looked up to because of their achievements, whose lives were deemed to be inspirational to others. But then comes a change in the mood. It isn't just the famous who are to be praised. The writer continues, of others, there is no memory. But these also were godly men whose righteous deeds have not been forgotten. When I first started to have the privilege of conducting funerals around about 20 years ago, I adopted and then later adapted some of the prayers from another Baptist publication called Patterns and Prayers for Christian Worship. And it doesn't matter whether the, the funeral I'm conducting is for somebody I have known all my life, as it was in the case of my mother, or a personal friend, or a much-loved member of this church or another church, or even a total stranger that I've just been phoned up by the undertaker and asked to conduct the funeral. I always use the same basic prayers and then personalise them. And so this is what will be prayed. Father God, we thank you for the life of N, now gone from among us all, for all your goodness to them and for all that they have been to those who've loved them. We thank you for the ways that, in which their life has shown us your goodness, mercy and love. We thank you for what has been unique and special about them. And at that point in the prayer, I will personalise it. What has been unique and special about them? Every single human being, whether they're famous or not, whether they're actively remembered or not, has been unique and special. But the prayer continues. Loving God, we thank you for the friendship and peace that N has brought, for all that they've given us. We pray that nothing of their life will be lost, but will be of benefit to the world, and that all that was important to them will be respected by all who follow. You see, in these prayers, 
we do a little bit more and simply recognise that these were people who were unique and precious. We honour the worth and the unique contribution they have made to our lives, the ways that they have inspired and informed us to be the people we can be. But it goes even beyond that and says, we promise in our prayers to continue the legacy of these people. The legacy of Frederick Robarts, the legacy of Edith Gates, the legacy of those who have walked before us in this church, those who inspire us and encourage us. As the hymn writer might have said in the, the hymn we opened with, we give thanks to God for those others whom we've never known. Frederick, Edith and countless others, with whose courage and devotion the Christian church has grown, who lived in different ages and thought in different ways, but whose Lord is the same as our Lord, to whom be all our praise. So yeah, Frederick Robarts inspires me. Edith Gates inspires me. And there will be their equivalents who inspire each and every one of us today. But we have to do more than just remember them. So in honouring them, recognising that their stories inspire, encourage us. Let's now rededicate ourselves to the Lord.
let us pray. Loving God, as we bring our prayers for others and for ourselves, our hearts are full of gratitude for those who came before us, who in their day tried like us to follow Jesus and to show your love in action. We remember and give thanks for the nine women and men who founded our church almost 140 years ago and who called Frederick Robarts to be our first minister. We thank you for their commitment to building a church community in this part of Glasgow, a family of Christians who would not only care for one another, but would extend that care to people living in desperate poverty in Partick and Port Dundas. And we ask your blessing on those who continue to build community among us, scattered as we are around the city, around the country and around the world. And for those in this church who keep our eyes focused on the injustice that sees half our world held in poverty, while the other half has more than enough. This week especially, we ask your blessing on Emma and Drew, Jane S, Wendy, Steve, Anita, Neil and Bonnie, Dr. Beth, Mary, Janet and Roger, Joyce and Morag, Jen, Andrew, Carl and Aidan, Elaine, Graham, Freya and Sarah, and John E. And we remember also this week the members of our finance group, especially Alistair, who administers all the day-to-day -day business of receiving our offerings, paying our bills, managing our bank accounts, and overseeing all the financial aspects of being an employer. Thank you for those who served this community in the past, and for those who still do. God of love, we remember and give thanks for Edith Gates and those other courageous women who challenged the unjust systems which prevented generations of women from fulfilling their call to ministry. And we give thanks for those who in our day still challenge injustice wherever it's found in our world especially those who work with BMS. This week, they ask us to pray for the collaboration with the International Baptist Theological Study Centre in Amsterdam, as they develop a learning network for mission leaders across Europe, the Middle East and Central Asia. And the collaboration with Spurgeon's College 
as they develop training that can be used among churches in the UK. They ask us to pray for UK staff members as they organise pre-departure training for BMS mission workers and for all the personnel who are in training now as they prepare to leave the UK and take up new challenges overseas. And finally, they ask for our prayers for the programmes which allow UK staff to learn from emerging leaders and mission practitioners in the Global South. Men and women who have so much to teach us, especially BMS partners in Delhi and Kolkata in India, as they set up a training hub there. Thank you for those who challenged injustice in the past and for those who still do. And the Baptist Union of Scotland also ask for our prayers this week for those who train others, especially those in church leadership. We pray for LEAD Academy, where people already leading churches can learn how to do that better. And the churches at Perth, Peterhead and Pitlochry all ask for our prayers for leadership, for the new minister at Perth, Edder Concalves, for the newly elected leadership team at Peterhead, and for the team leading in Pitlochry as they transition back to meeting in person they ask for our prayers that they'll not just fall back into old habits, but keep looking for new ways of being church. Thank you for those who gave their time and talents to lead our churches in the past, and for those who still do. So Lord, accept our prayers this morning in gratitude for all those ordinary and extraordinary women and men who have gone before us. The ones who kept the story of your redeeming love alive and the ones who showed us the meaning of that love in action. Amen.
holy God, we have sung our praises, listened to stories and scripture and offered our prayers. As we leave this online gathering to resume our daily lives, bless us with new hope and new courage. Inspire us for the challenges that lie ahead and remain with us in every moment of every day. Amen.